Father, this morning we just come to you. Your word, O oh Father, is forever settled in the heavens. Everything was created by your word, for your word, and through your word. Christ, Lord, you are the word. No man is worthy, no man is fit. To preach your word. No man is qualified. We come to you as unworthy vessels to hold, to speak, to hear. Knowing that in ourselves there is nothing that we can do. But Christ in us will speak. Christ in us will hear. Christ in us will believe. Christ in us will obey. So we surrender before your word. And we pray, not my will. Thy will be done, Lord. Speak, Father, this morning. Speak to us. Minister to us. For your word is life. Give us life this morning. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 As we continue the study of the word of God. The process of learning. Growing. Changing. But that's what the word does. This morning first I want to turn to John chapter 8. And verses 1 to 9. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That's the evening, previous evening. He's there, he spends the night in the presence of God. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should not be stoned, should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. It's found... Only in one gospel, this account is found only in one gospel. But in this, we have looked at this portion. I'm not teaching today the word the Lord laid on my heart is primarily not from this portion, but just one word in this portion. What we see is an incredible scene. 
Pharisees, a whole set of people wanting to test God, test Jesus. They catch a woman in the act of adultery, bring her there, puts her there in front of Jesus, asks him this question, according to the law, this is what is written, what do you say? Jesus makes a statement, he says in verse 7, who, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Just, just one simple statement from the mouth of God. Whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. Then in verse 9, scripture says, those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. The title of today's message is, do we still have conviction? Or do we still have convictions? Four thousand years earlier to this incident, the first woman, Eve, in all her innocence, had walked naked in her skin and she was not ashamed. Four thousand years later, another stands there naked in her sin. There. But the question is this. When Jesus makes one statement, just one statement, it's a statement connected with sin. He says, anyone without sin, cast the first stone. And they started leaving one by one, oldest to the youngest. But the question to us today is, do we have strong convictions anymore about anything? Convictions are not just a matter of belief. They are a matter of life. Everyone has convictions. Conviction means a very strong persuasion, a very strong belief. Some convictions are right or true. Some are wrong. Some are weak. But convictions really matter in life. The reason is because we are living in the age where all the prophets had prophesied the last days, where there is a whole scale assault on the word of God, which is the truth. Where there is hardly any absolutes anymore, therefore very little strong convictions. When things change as it is changing, Changing. It's going to change very soon in this country too on certain absolute convictions which this country held in 70 years of freedom. Don't get excited by the ruling last week of the uh, Supreme Court about right to privacy as a fundamental right, which is an incredible landmark nine bench. All the judges agreed on it, but along with it, you will see section 377 most probably will be struck down and homosexuality will become legal in this country. There's a very strong chance. 
Okay, so don't get excited by all these rulings because there are a lot of things which were absolutes for centuries. Centuries. Marriage was an absolute for centuries. It was between man and a woman. That will also change in this nation. Wait and see. All these absolutes. The question is, we who have the name of Christ, do we have absolute convictions? Isaiah prophesied about a day like this. In Isaiah 5 and verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What happens when everything is changed? When evil is called good, what God has called evil, we have seen over the weeks, it's not you and I who decide what is right and wrong, it's only God. And God has called certain things as good, and certain things as bad, certain things as evil, certain things as abominations. And we change its nomenclature, its nature doesn't change. We can only change names. But its nature because of what God has spoken about it, does not change. But the problem is when we live in a world and in an age when evil will be called good and good will be called evil, what happens is our consciences get compromised. And so many of us, if not all of us, at so many levels, our consciences have been compromised that if that scene we saw in the beginning happening 2,000 years ago, that woman caught in adultery, was we whip that crowd and somebody were to say, let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. I don't think you would have walked away. Never walked away. Because for your conscience to convict you, your conscience should have some kind of a knowledge about absolutes. This is good and forever good. This is evil, forever evil. Because what we saw in that passage is all of them were stricken in their consciences at the mention of sin. Mention of sin. The question is, does sin bother us anymore? Bother us anymore? One of the reasons why God demands his children to be separated from this world is to see that our consciences remain tender and do not get compromised with the ways and the patterns of this world. Paul will tell his very young disciple Timothy and therefore God through Paul will tell us all in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. This is the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of God which sets absolutes in your life and my life. As we grow in the knowledge of God in this doctrine Certain things which we were not aware of as we grow starts being set in concrete in our life. They become 
absolutes. He is saying, take heed to your doctrine, take heed to yourself. Watch. Continue in them. Let there be absolutes, O Timothy, in your life. For in doing this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Those who hear you. Because doctrine, real true doctrine of Christ will bring absolute conviction. Strong convictions about issues. And he is telling him continue. Another version will use the term persevere in them. And persevere in leaving them out. You have to live these doctrines out, these convictions out. Why is it so important? Because salvation cannot be received unless there is a strong conviction of sin. That's why today's 21st century, our age, most of the people who call themselves Christians are do not have those hard conviction that they are saved. That assurance, I am God's, God is mine, I'm walking with Him, He's walking with me. Why is this struggle with this assurance of salvation? Because salvation is not a theological or a mental thing. It comes out of deep conviction. And the beginning of salvation is there is a conviction of sin. If there is no conviction of sin, there can not be a salvation. Because what are you being saved from? Why do you want to be saved? It's just religion. In religion there is no conviction. There is no conviction. There is only appeasement. You don't have to change. You don't have to change. Because everyone is working, living on a mindset. Like one of the reasons in this nation especially, corruption cannot be wiped out or will not be wiped out. It's impossible to wipe out. It's because of the defining religion of this nation. That religion thrives on bribing the gods. It's as simple as that. You want anything for the God to do you, you have to bribe him. So if you have to bribe your God, what's wrong in bribing a government servant? If that government servant has bribed his God in the morning, what's wrong in receiving a bribe in your office? You're a God. That's why corruption doesn't move us. It doesn't bother us. You see, everybody, nobody's mind is a vacuum. Everybody is working on certain sets of mindset principles. But when we are in Christ Jesus, scripture is very clear, our mindset is changing. There are absolutes. One of the interesting things our God says to Israel in the beginning is, I'm a God who does not take a bribe. He knows every God takes a bribe. He knows the gods of this world. He knows every God of this world takes a bribe. Our God doesn't take a bribe in to save us. He pays the price. So if there is no conviction of sin, there cannot be genuine salvation. 
If there is no an ongoing conviction of sin as the Holy Spirit shows, there cannot be a growth in salvation. So when this gospel is preached on the day of Pentecost, the response of the people when Peter preached, not all, quite a few of them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. Conviction takes place in your heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Conviction will lead to questions. What should I do? We have no questions to God. What should I do? It's maybe because we do not have convictions. At every place in the Bible you will see the gospel is preached. Those who receive it with a tender heart, there is a cutting of heart. What shall we do? In the midnight hour, the Philippi jailer will cry out to Paul and Silas, Masters, what shall I do? What shall I do? Baptism will not be seen as mandatory unless you have a strong conviction that of being separated and saved from this corrupt world is imperative. You don't feel the conviction of baptism. Unless you have a deep conviction because of the word. It's an absolute. In Acts chapter 2, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter told them what they should do. They were convicted of their sin and they were convicted of the need to be separated from their generation and be separated unto God. That separation led to the next conviction. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship. Unwavering devotion to the teaching of scripture and fellowship will not happen unless we have strong conviction about salvation and baptism. The early church, very poor church compared to us, very poor church, put spiritual growth far above physical and material security or comfort. And therefore God was with them and in their midst blessing them. And it was a result of strong convictions. The question is, do we have convictions? Strong conviction is knowing what you believe and living out what you believe and defending what you believe with both your mind and with your heart. These are all part of convictions. Steadfastly. You cannot continue steadfastly unless you are absolutely convinced this is true in the kingdom of God. And I am going to do everything possible to see that 
I never miss wherever the saints gather for the word. I am not going to miss because I am convinced this is true. I am not going to miss fellowship because I am convinced without fellowship I will not grow. That's when I really know who I am. That's when I really know what I have really believed is is transmitted as life or as death. If you don't believe and have strong convictions, we are just like sitting ducks waiting for the day of evil as it approaches. Telling you, truly, it's coming. The dark clouds are gathering more and more and more. It's coming closer and closer. The question is, when our hour comes, yes, you have those videos passing across in WhatsApp groups about churches being attacked, pastors being beaten up, believers being lati charged and all that. The question is, yes, you saw that video, but we don't know what happened the next week. Did they come back for fellowship or they... Or they, it's a different thing to see and say, oh my gosh, this is happening in India. What we do not know is, what was the response of the believers after that day? If hundred were there, how many came back? We don't have convictions. When the hour of evil comes, do we know where we will be? Do we know where we will stand with our convictions? If you don't have convictions, children sitting over here will have no convictions of life. Because parents will have no convictions about, about life. And most often or often it happens because servants of God have no deep convictions about life as God sees it. So what we have from pulpits today are advised all over are motivational speeches. That's how it's even advertised. Motivation seminars are for salesmen. What God ordains for his people is conviction, not motivation. Motivation is for salesmen. Conviction is for God's people. History and life will teach you one thing. That all of us sitting here will tend to make our decisions based on one of these four. One, our circumstances. Our circumstances are overwhelming and we are too weak to agree, disagree, or we agree with our circumstances and we make a decision. Or we make a decision based on convenience. Convenience. Convenience is good in so many things of this world, but convenience is not good in the things of God. We don't make choices according to convenience. Or we make choices because of criticism. Or the fourth one, we make our decision based on convictions. One of these four, either our circumstances determine who we are, what we become, or our convenience determines who we are, what we become, or criticism. Because I'm telling you because I know so many in this city who call 
They listen to every message that is preached from here on a Sunday or a Wednesday without fail. But they pick a church that is convenient to them. So many. Because it's, it's not based on an absolute. It's based on convenience. Now just think about it. You're hearing one word, yet fellowshipping with another group that has never heard that word. Have you looked at your absolutes are misplaced? Yet you are hoping to grow. Absolutes are important. Either you will make decisions based on your circumstances or your convenience or the criticism of others. I want to prove. You don't have to prove anything to anybody except God. Lord, I want to please you. It's the only desire to please you. We base our decisions on criticism. Ultimately, God says our decision should be based on convictions, true convictions. If you study history, the good and the bad part of history, people who have made the greatest impact in history for both good and evil, are those people who had very deep, strong convictions. Evil or good. The Nazis believed in their ideology. They believed they were a super race. They believed the rest should be exterminated and they were born to rule. Absolutely. The ardent communist has deep conviction about communism, that communism ultimately will prevail and take over. So there are people who have incredible deep convictions about ideologies which are wrong. Great good also has been done by people with great convictions about what is true and what is good. So you may be saved. You may be in the house of God. You may not have grown in your convictions. So deep inside you still have an issue. Because you came from another conviction because you lived in this land and this land had divided the nation into four groups of hierarchy and you come from here, you have left physically but you haven't really left inside. Convictions have to change. Because we need to have lasting convictions. If we are ever going to have lasting convictions, we need to build on what is true and on what will last eternally. What is true? John 17, verse 17, Jesus prays this prayer over us. Sanctify them. Separate them. Convictions separate you. In Kerala, if you go, if four communists are sitting and together and talk, even if you are not, you listen to them, you will know who they are. Because their convictions have separated them. They will not call each other name. They call them Sakhau, means comrade. If you go to Kerala and you are in a Pentecostal setup, those pastors will call each other only Devadasan. They will never call you by any name. 
Because your convictions will always become separation. And God says, this is what should separate us. We have deep convictions because of truth. And as we grow in truth, it should bring incredible convictions in our life. So if we are going to have lasting convictions, it should be based on what is truth. And God's word is truth. And if God's word is not bringing conviction for us, that means we don't really believe. Second, it should have something that is lasting. And I said chapter 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, meaning everything in this world keeps on changing. It's fading. But the word of God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. So I need, if I want to have a lasting conviction, I need to base it on something that is true and something that is eternal. So the question we ask is, I believe in this, but what are our convictions based on? Are our convictions based on what we see and perceive? Or on what God has spoken. Why did God give this testimony about one man who came out of Egypt? man called Caleb. This is God's testimony in Numbers 14 verse 24. But my servant Caleb, God says. God says he is my servant Caleb. Because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit. God says, this man is different. He's my servant. He's got a different spirit. And he has followed me wholeheartedly. Fully. Why did God give him this? This testimony. God is witnessing about Caleb. Caleb is not talking about himself. Caleb, Moses is writing about Caleb, what God told Moses about Caleb. Why? Hadn't they all gone and seen the same land, the same produce, the same cities, the same people? But why did Caleb differ? Why did Caleb's report differ? Listen to what Caleb tells Joshua 45 years later. If I have it in NIV, I would love it. Yeah, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land and I brought him back a report, report according to my convictions. According to my convictions. I saw, but I judged everything I saw in the light of the word God had already spoken. And that was my conviction. Yes, I saw the land, I saw the produce, I saw the walled cities and I saw the giants. And I also remembered what God had said. I have given this land over to you. So I brought a report according to my convictions. Not just by what I saw. Are our convictions just based on what we see? Or are our convictions based on what God has spoken? Our convictions about marriage based on what God has said? Or as it Nation after nation after nation is falling under this assault of God-given absolute. Next is, next is Australia. The result of the postal vote will come in November. And the postal vote is, yes, 
then there too it will be legalized. Now when all these things happen, it doesn't bother anybody except those who have absolute convictions. Doesn't bother anybody. Doesn't bother. That won't bother you and me unless we are very absolute in convictions. So when a whole set of thousands probably of young men are taken to Babylon, it doesn't bother any one of them except for who have convictions that we cannot partake of this because our convictions come from what God has spoken that you cannot partake of this. If we don't have convictions, we will always start believing what we hear in the world. The greatest virtue is tolerant. To be tolerant. Tolerance is not a virtue always. That's what it means to walk by faith and not sight. To walk by faith means to walk by convictions, by absolutes. That's why he was able to say what he said at 85. His convictions has not changed. 45 years are over. He went in at 43, 40. Now it is 85. And at 85, you know what he says in verse 11 and 12? I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Are you as strong? You will be only strong as you keep on growing older and weaker in the body only if your convictions are strong. If your convictions are available for the highest bidder, then you won't be strong. You won't be strong. Therefore, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that way. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. He said, I'm the oldest guy here. For all these people standing over here, probably Caleb is the oldest. But he says, I'm strong. I can fight. My convictions haven't changed at all. If God was true, then God is true today too. He doesn't change. We have only one absolute, that is God and his word. God has not changed, his word has not changed. If you promise 45 years ago, I give this land to you, these giants will not be able to stand before you. Still strong today. So if God has spoken something, then he working it out is not based on my physical strength. It is based on my convictions. We put... Make excuses based on our weaknesses is because we do not have conviction about the absolute values and strength and power of God. We don't. Because God is not dependent upon my strength to do things through me. He's dependent upon whether I believe in Him and in His strength. That's why we need convictions. So at 85, he's still standing, still speaking, still living, still fighting according to his convictions. The question is, when we turn 85, will we have convictions? If you and I, if I live to be 85 and Jesus hasn't come, this world will be unrecognizable. Absolutely unrecognizable. 
This word and this world will be so far apart. The question is, where will you and I be at that point? How far apart will be from the world or how close to the word and to our convictions will be? Preachers quit or compromise. It's not because of the circumstances or not because of the pressure. It's because of very weak conviction. How do preachers quit? Told you, if you want to look at it as a career, the largest dropout rate in the world is in ministry. And the reason is, they have very weak convictions. And if a preacher has very weak convictions, then the people they lead end up worshipping the wrong things. Listen to scripture. Because of a weak preacher. Exodus 32 verse 4. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, made a molded calf and then said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What's the problem with Aaron here? He has no conviction. He has no conviction. No absolute conviction. There's so many churches which have no conviction. They have crowds, they have ambience, they have everything. But very little conviction. Because the convictions are not based on idols. They are willing to change the unchanging God into any shape or form asked by the mob. What's your demand? I am ready to supply. We can change, doesn't matter. can change God around. can change him around. So when you start changing the absolutes, you start changing the image of the unchanging God. And next you see what happens, it affects. And they rose early on the next day, burned, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. What changes? Your worship changes. Your lifestyle changes. It's not that they rose up early to pray. They rose up early to play. That's why we have playstations. Early in the morning, children rise to play, not to pray. A change. Meaning, our entire attitude to life is like a game. It's a game. We are no longer being, being trained. We are being entertained. You want worship to entertain us. You want prayer to entertain us. Entertain us. I know from past years of people, not from my church, but I've met them. They said, I went to this church and I said, what happened? No, I gave my prayer request. I said, yes. And what happened? No, they didn't read out my request the way I wanted, so I left. Even in prayer, they want to be in their flesh to be entertained. I said, how many people were there in the church? Almost a thousand. How many prayer requests? Quite a lot. And you were upset? You were upset? Everywhere the preaching has to entertain me. Yes, we have humor. But the purpose of preaching is not to entertain. It is to bring conviction. The purpose of preaching is not to be a motivational preacher. It is to bring conviction. Because if conviction brings repentance and change, God is with you. 
God is with you. God is with you. The woman didn't leave Jesus. She was also convicted of her sin. She didn't leave. The others left. She stood there. Therefore, she went cleansed. Zacchaeus was received salvation into his house that day. Because conviction leads to salvation. There is no truth. There is no spirit in this worship. In verse 25, when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Among their enemies. They are in the wilderness, right? They are in the... Are people watching them? There are hosts of unseen eyes who watch the testimony of God's church. And wash their shame. When there is no conviction, there is no shame. When there is no conviction, there is no shame. Even Adam, because they were so close to God and knew God and walked with God, as soon as they sinned, they were ashamed. They were ashamed. And the first attempt by Adam and Eve is to cover themselves because they realized they were naked. But constantly by taking God out and absolutes out, you will see there is no shame. There is no shame. And they are not ashamed. God says, in friend of the enemies. See, a compromised preacher. It all started and entered like this. But it all started with one man who did not have convictions, and the one man who had convictions was absent. Two men. One had incredible convictions. He was up with God for 40 days. Fasting, prayer, seeking the face of God. Another man was in charge who had no convictions. 40 days were over. This is the end. This is the end. God is saying, If you have convictions, doesn't matter what your pressure is, you won't quit because you have believed in absolute. Listen to another preacher. This is a young preacher under incredible pressure which Aaron did not face. Aaron did not face the kind of pressure this young preacher faced. Look at him in Jeremiah 20. He's a young preacher. Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. Who will go? I will go. Okay, I have sent you to do all these things. He says, I was young. I got fooled. I accepted the calling. You persuaded me and I went. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I couldn't say no. Your word was ringing in my ears when I sleep, when I wake up, when I'm lying down. It is burning in me. I had to obey the call. I got up and I obeyed. Now because I have obeyed, I am in derision daily. All I face is insults daily from my hearers. I am mocked Daily, everyone mocks me. When I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me as a reproach and as a derision daily. I wish you would have made me a motivational speaker. They would have loved me. But he says, the word you gave me, every day I was hated for the word you gave me. But he says, then I said, I will not make mention of him, not speak anymore in his name. He said, I'm, it's enough. I'm not going to preach the word anymore. I'm not going to mention his name 
or anymore in his name. But his word was like fire shut in my bones. Shut in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. He said, I can't quit. I can't quit. I can't quit. Cannot stop preaching. Cannot stop warning. What he's saying, the pressure to buckle down, to compromise, to change the message is so strong from the crowd, but the conviction was stronger. And I cannot change the message, nor can I keep quiet. Joseph had deep convictions. Therefore, he lost many coats, which are symbols of honor. That's why the coats of Joseph is mentioned in the record in Genesis. Because he had a very special coat that showed him at a higher level than his brothers in his father's house. A special coat that showed him as a chief steward in Potiphar's house. His coat showed his position. But because of his deep convictions, he lost all his coats. But he did not lose his character. Daniel had deep convictions. Therefore, he chose not to defile himself. And therefore, he became a noble vessel in his master's hand for over 70 years. That voice spoke in Babylon. And he still speaks today in our age. He speaks louder. He speaks louder. That young man. Because he took a decision because of his deep convictions. He speaks louder in our age than probably any preacher. Why? Because if you want to know about the Antichrist and all that, you have to study the book of Daniel. It is not there so much in Revelation. It is there in the book of Daniel. When the Messiah will be cut off, the seven years, everything is revealed to Daniel, then built upon by John in the book of Revelation. It is to Daniel, it is revealed. So even today, 3,000 years later, he speaks and he speaks more powerfully than in his own time. Biblical scholars sit there and ponder over and study the word of Daniel to understand how the end is coming and what are the signs. Why? Because a man stood there alone because of his incredible deep convictions that God's word is true. My situation, my circumstances, the criticism, the convenience or circumstances does not define me. I am defined what I believe is true. And what is true is God is true. And his word is true. Daniel's three friends would neither bow, bend or budge because of their convictions. Moses turned his back to the treasures of Egypt and never looked back because he had absolute deep convictions of what was true. Joshua was absolutely clear even after possessing the land. He says, I don't know about all of you, but as far as me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Choose whom this, this day whom you will serve. He said, absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. Peter, after Pentecost, was absolutely clear about his convictions. Before Pentecost, after Jesus' arrest, he was not very sure. But 
after Pentecost, he was absolutely sure about his convictions. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Very clear. This is what God has said. This is what you are saying. We stick with God. We are willing to be persecuted, killed for what we believe. Apostle Paul had incredibly deep convictions about everything. Everything he had deep convictions. So the question is, why do people in the church drift away? They do. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, scripture talks about, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We don't drift away. He said, you need to have absolute convictions in your life, and live out your convictions, and not be pressurized by your circumstances or what is convenient or by the criticisms of those who don't have absolute convictions don't drift. There are two kinds of drifting I want to talk about which believe I'm not that's not a message but let me tell you two kinds of drifting. One is a boat which is on the seashore. Okay. It's moved on to the side but the rope is cut and you don't even realize it drifts away slowly, 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 slowly. But before you know, it's so far away in the ocean and lost. It's drifted. It didn't go in one shot. It slowly drifted away. Because nobody was a guiding. Because there was no convictions. When you are going and rowing in a direction, that means you have deep convictions. This is drifting. And so many believers are there It's not that they don't come to church. They have no absolutes in their life. Because they have no absolutes, they have no absolute loyalty to anything. The only thing they are loyal to is to themselves. And they drift further and further and further and further and further and further away and not even aware they are drifting away so badly spiritually because this is a spiritual thing and not a physical thing. The second kind of drifting is what happens not in the sea, what happens in a, let us say, a small lake. Same boat or another boat, the rope is cut. That boat also drifts. But the Other side of this drifting is that you are surrounded by land. So you don't get lost, but you are still drifting. Still drifting. It's the land barrier that keeps you getting by drifting away completely to another place. But you are still drifting. You still do not have direction. You are not still clear about absolutes. And scripture says, We have to pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. You have heard. This is the doctrine of the apostles. Repentance from dead works. Faith towards God. The baptism, doctrine of baptism. The laying um, of hands. And then, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You cannot take this out. These are fundamental things. How much deep conviction do we have of eternal judgment? If we don't have that that particular conviction, it will change our life. We will drift. 
We'll start judging every message because we do not have a judgment about eternal judgment. The preachers who cried and wept and spoke thunder and brimstone wherever they went is because they saw eternal judgment and coming, knowing that it comes closer and every man is appointed to that. There is no escaping that. They knew it's an absolute. If you don't have deep convictions, if you are not willing to die for what we believe, why should we live for what we believe? That's how deep convictions are. The Bible is full of stories often of very ordinary men. These stories are put over there in the Bible. Of very ordinary people. Not extraordinary people. Not highly educated, qualified people. Often very ordinary men. Simple men. Who stood there strong because they had very deep convictions. And one of the persons I wanted to look today is not that he was tested. Not that he was caught in a storm that tested his convictions. Actually, it was so very easy for him to let go of his convictions. Because everything looked as if God was trying to tell him, you don't have to hold on to your conviction. But he was so clear and absolute on his convictions. I'll set you the background of the story. It's a very well-known story we know. It's about story when David did not go to war. He goes to his rooftop because he's not able to sleep. He sees the woman who's bathing. Then he starts making inquiries about her. Then he gets her and he takes her and she becomes pregnant. She conceives. And when she conceives, she sends words to David by saying, I have conceived. Now begins the plot of the story. Now David has to do something. There are only two choices always before man, either acknowledge or cover. He decides to cover because this great man of God has lost his conviction. Lost his conviction. That is the scene where we are beginning. So we come to 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 11. Then David sent to Joab, that's his general, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite and Joab sent Uriah to David. That's Bathsheba's husband. Uriah came. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Job was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. Look at him. What a man of conviction can become a total hypocrite. When he loses his conviction, hi, how are you? How's job doing? How is the war going on? How are the people doing? He's not interested in any of these things. He's trying to cover something here. Making what we say, what that's what we also do. When our heart is not right, we make small talk. We have nice words in Indian English for that, small talk. Small talk. David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed. No, no, no. Let's come. I didn't read the verse 7. And how the war prospered. Okay. Yeah. Come to verse 7. Yeah, 8, 8. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. Interesting, okay. 
He's going to go, go home, go home. You come from the battlefield, go home. David pretended that you have been sent for me to bring info. You are a messenger from the battlefield to let me know how the war is going. Now that you have come, go home. Okay? And he told, sent a quarter off from the king's table, what has been cooked today, all that delicacies, take it. So Uriah is going home. Behind him are the royal servants carrying food from the king's table to his home. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants. He didn't go home. He didn't go home. I don't know where the food went, but he didn't go home. He slept at the door of the king's house, not even his house. The door of the king's house. He did not, did not go down to his house. Don't go to his house. So when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did he not go to your house? He came from the battlefield. He must have walked or horse. He must be really, really tired. You came straight to me and you gave me the report. You must have been worn out. And I gave you permission to go home and I sent you food too. Why didn't you go to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. The ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents. My Lord Job and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. I will not do this thing. You see this man's conviction? A simple man, an ordinary man. These are the very few words given to him in the Bible and after that he will die. And look at his conviction. This is an incredible scene which God is showing about a great man, genuinely great man who lost his convictions to his circumstances and a simple soldier who stood there strong in his convictions. In words said, God says, go home, take a break, chill, enjoy. What did he say? Take a break, chill, enjoy. You see, David had taken a break. David had taken a break. And many in the kingdom of God have taken a break. The minute you are given a choice, take a break, they take a break. Without even knowing the question, take a break, itself is a test whether you will take a break. In Judges chapter 7 and verse 3, scripture says, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart. Honestly, think. If I were to say, who all were afraid, go. Who will go? I said, I don't want to be, I don't want everybody to think I am a darpu. But 22,000 took off. Took off. Take a break. Everybody took a break. Gideon is looking around. Crowds are leaving. If you really want to see it, come on second Saturday. And when I say, now we'll take a break for lunch. And when I'm praying, they're already moving to stand first in the queue. Well, some of them won't move. Some of them have not 
don't even eat anymore. They said, we are fasting. So in the same crowd, you will have people with all kinds of convictions. Those who will run, those who will stay, those who will fast. Convictions are different. Take a break. They took a break. They took off. Fear. What makes you lose your conviction? Fear of losing your job? Fear of losing your comfort? Fear of losing the conveniences which you are comfortable with? Fear of losing your health? So many fears. Jesus had no fears because he had nothing to lose. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The son of man goes to Mount of Olives to sleep. What can you lose? Fears. Look at them. 22,000. We have to ask this question. Am I one among them? Am I one among them? Am I one among them? That. I am not led by my convictions. I look into the mirror. I realize I make my choices based on fear. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to, I like this. I love this. I don't want to lose. I'm making my, in the, in the same, but I am within Israel. Later when you have won the victory, call me. I'll help you to carry the plunder. After the war is over, if there is a praise and worship session, I will definitely come, brother. Don't forget to call me. Are we led by fear? Are we divided by the word? Next group, we don't know. I'm not looking at that. Next group, you will see. The next only 10,000 is left. 9,700 will be separated by the word. Separated by the word. The word will separate them. Only 300 will be left. God tells us very clearly in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 and 13, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So how do you read this in context for today? We war against or wrestle against powers of darkness. How many are there? Billions. How many are there? One man in Gadarenes had a legion in him. And God says, those are chota mota demons. We are talking about principalities, powers, rulers, and all kinds of wicked things. There is a war going on. There is a war going on. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, he said, you have to be engaged in battle all the time. We are not fighting for land or gold or promotions. We are fighting for the souls of this generation and the next generations. There is a war going on. So the question we have to ask is, the ark, Israel and Judah are in the battlefield. Where am I? Have I taken a break? Do we have the conviction of Uriah? Uriah wanted to go back to battle. And he wanted to be battle ready. 
Food followed him. Pleasure awaited him. But scripture says in verse 9, Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. Kings? He didn't go to his house. Because he knows if he goes to his house, he will give in to temptation. So, he said, I'm not going. I'm sleeping here. Because I. this is not the time for pleasure, even if it is legitimate. This is the time of war. And the rest of my comrades are there in the battlefield risking their life. This is the time to be battle ready. And this is not the time to eat, to drink, and to be merry. That's what I said. What is our worship? They ate, they drank, and rose up to play? Or they fasted and prayed and stood their course? That's what I said. Salesmen need motivation. Christians need conviction. And you, Uriah, was a true Christian in the spirit. Where did Uriah's convictions come from? Where did it come from? Listen to him. He's being set up by his own king. The temptation is very powerful. The temptation is very powerful because it comes from his own king, the great psalmist. Look at verse 10 and 11. David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go to your house? Go. Why didn't you go? Why didn't you go? I said temptations differ. The power of temptation depends upon from whom it comes. This is an incredible temptation. He cannot, he shouldn't even call it a temptation. This is legit. I've come from war. I was called from the battlefield by the king's command. The king called me. I've given him the report. I am tired. The king said to go home, take rest. He sent food, his food. I will take a full meal, spend time with my wife and go back. It's all legit. But his conviction is stopping him. He says, you know what? My brothers are in the battlefield. And I know what they are eating. And I know they sleep for a few hours and they are up for the battle. How can I go home? How can? That's what Paul says. All things are permissible. All things for the believer is not beneficial. We are always looking at life by saying, Lord, is this not permissible? Is this not permissible? Is this not permissible? God says, it is. It is. Son, it won't be beneficial. It is. There's no law against it. Is there any law in eating from the king's table? If the king is David, absolutely no. Is there any law which says you should not go sleep with your wife? Absolutely no law. But question is, at a time like this, Uriah is saying, it is not beneficial. I will eat, I will drink, have fun with my wife, and go back. I am not ready to fight. I have lost my focus. I have lost my focus. I have been satiated in the flesh, and this is the hour of war. I have lost my focus. There will be time and a season for this. But it is definitely not now. Definitely not now. Our problem is we are not discerning the times we are living in. We are not seeing, understanding the times we are living in. We do 
don't see times we are living in. What does he say? The ark, Israel, and Judah. It's in the tents. Dwelling in the tents. Where is the Lord? For Israel, the ark represents the presence of God. Now I cannot read this clearly, but I have a feeling this is what Israelis to do and we know from their history. Whenever they go to fight a battle that begins from the time they entered the promised land, Joshua, remember the walls coming down. Whenever they have to face big battles, hard battles, what they do is to take the ark of God with them. That really pumps them up saying that God is with us and therefore who can be against us? So the ark in all probability is not in Jerusalem. It is in the battlefield. It's there. In the open field, in a tent. The priests watching and the soldiers are camped around the ark. The question I have is, if the ark is in the field, David, why are you in Jerusalem? Are you not the worshipper? The one who wrote all the songs? Why are you in Jerusalem? Shouldn't it be you, you there? With the ark? The presence of God is with those who are battling the forces of evil day and night. With those who have laid everything on the altar for the sake of the king and the kingdom. Not with those who stay at home because it is convenient and not join the battle. The Lord is in the field with Israel fighting Israel's battle while David is at home at leisure playing games. Uriah's testimony is a rebuke to a compromised king. Uriah realized something that David had forgotten that in the presence of God there is always victory. If you are dwelling in the presence of God, you cannot fall or fail. God is speaking through the mouths of Uriah to a man who has shut his ears. David, you have fallen and you are trying to cover your failure because you are not in the presence of God. And this man is standing up there and declaring to you and you don't have ears to hear Both men, interestingly, both men were enticed with the body of the same beautiful woman. Both men, same woman. One fell when it was illegitimate for him to have her, while the other stood even when it was legit for him to have her because of his deep convictions. Do you see why we need convictions? The ark is in the tent. The ark is in the tent. The question we ask is, then how can I dwell in the house? What does it mean? Ark represents something. The tent 
represents something that is moving. Well, the house represents something that is permanent. The ark is in the tent. The ark is in the tent. Why are we building houses? Hebrews 7.25 Let me explain to you spiritually. Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make lives to make intercession for them. So the question is if my Lord and your Lord is at work with his hands upraised interceding for you and me then How can you and I be at leisure? If he's at work, how can we be at leisure? I'm not saying that you shouldn't take a vacation or take a... Don't misunderstand the message. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how do you look at life? How do you see events? How do you see life? How do you see this world? Because... So many people put the blame on God for withholding his blessings. It is not that God has run short of his blessings to give us, but rather we are not at the right place to receive the blessings. If you are sitting in your house playing while God is in the field fighting, then your blessings is in the field and not in your house. That's where the Lord is. That's where the blessing is. And Uriah realizes that and he's just waiting for the release from David to go back to the battlefield because he knows that's where God is. His convictions are so deep. So deep. Whose convictions? Uriah's convictions are so deep that David knows this man won't budge. So you know what he does? He gets him drunk. Verse 13. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him. He says, there's no point sending him liquor, wine and food. He won't eat, he won't drink. So you sit down. Let's drink together. Let's eat together. Can a subject refuse when the king drinks? No, he cannot. So he drank. David got him drunk. And he, David, he made him drunk. Read scripture carefully. Uriah did not get drunk. David made him drunk. That evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go to his own house. Even as a drunk man, he had more convictions than David. Refused to go to his house. Refused. Others may take our sobriety, but we will not lose our convictions. That's exactly what the world is trying to do, to take our sobriety. Lose control. Lose. Come. Lose. But we will not lose our convictions. We will not lose our convictions. That's what the Bible is talking about. Do we have convictions? Do we have convictions? Because the whole world system is tuned to see that we lose our balance. But in the midst of it, we can still remain true to our convictions learned from this man called Uriah. 
in the same place. In the same place, same place. The same palace, the same setting. When David, a sober David, weeks back had lost his self-control. A few weeks later, a drunk Uriah retains his control because God was with him because of his deep convictions. So we don't blame our circumstances. We don't blame our circumstances. We question our convictions. How deep are my convictions? How deep? Second Samuel 11, verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel. Israel. Israel is dwelling in the tents. Not only the ark, Israel is dwelling in tents. Israel speaks for those who contend in battle. For God and for man. With God and with man. For the blessings of God. For the true blessings of God. It was at the river Jabbok that Israel was born. Israel was not born in leisure. Israel was not born in complacency. Israel was not born during pleasure. Israel was born in battle. When he was striving with God for a blessing, Israel was born. That's when Jacob became Israel. Of his spiritual struggle. Genesis 32 verse 24, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. God says, that's Israel. Israel is living in tents. Israel is in the battlefield because until the day breaks over this dark world, we will not stop wrestling with God. Why? Because the salvation of people are dependent upon those who wrestle with God till daybreak. That's the real blessing. Everything that's material will come and go. But the real mess blessing is, can we change this world which is full of deceivers, Jacobs, into Israel, men of God? For that you and I need to be there in the field, living in tents and joining in the battle. That's Israel. Have you ever wrestled in prayer till day broke? Have you ever sat with day until day broke? Oh, we will sit before day till day breaks for so many things in the world. And we teach our children to do that for the things in the world. But God says, have you ever wrestled in prayer or with the word till day broke? That's Israel. Israel was born in battle. Israel was not born in leisure. Israelites are birthed in battle, not in leisure. Understand that. Not all are called to pastor. All are called to pray. Not all are called to preach. Yet all are called to proclaim. Not all are called to teach. All are called to stand. Everybody in the kingdom of God, without exception. Are you Israel? Or are you Jacob? Are you the one who compromises? Or are you the one who contends? Uriah, though he's dead, is still speaking to us. Lord, the ark is in the battlefield. Israel is in the battlefield. I cannot go home and sleep. Hundreds of years later, 
or maybe a couple of thousand years later, the writer of Hebrews will say like this. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourself are in the body also. What is he saying? That's what Abraham is saying. Israel is in the battlefield. How can I sleep? Israel is fighting a battle for the testimony of God. How can I go home and sleep? And then the new covenant, the writer of Hebrews says, remember who? The brethren we do not know of in the flesh and blood, but in the spirit we realize they are prisoners. They are prisoners. Are we battling in the spirit for them? Do we feel we are chained to them in the spirit? Let me tell you about one country. And this is not Christian news. This is secular news last week of North Korea. If you are a Christian, you are sure to die. Sure to die. You know, two forms of death for believing Christians in North Korea, which was there in the news last week. One, they are put and the steamroller is rolled over them. You know the road roller? If you are a Christian, that's how they are killed. Or you are crucified and hung before a fire. Yet the account says 37% of that nation is Christian underground. Why? Because they have deep convictions which neither the steamroller or the fire will burn away. Do we have convictions? Do we have convictions? That's what he's saying. The ark is there. Israel is there. The ark is there. Israel is there. My Lord, Job is there. Your soldiers are there. How can I go home and sleep? How can I go home and eat? How can I go to my wife? No, he says, I cannot. Because there is a war going on for the hearts and souls of people. Can we go to sleep? Can we be complacent about what's happening around us? Yes, we see all these WhatsApp messages of our own brethren in our own country being beaten up. Has that moved us closer to the prayer closet? Has it moved us closer to the word and to our knees? Or our emotions are touched for a few seconds and then we have forgotten and move along with our life? Do we have convictions? The ark is in the field. Israel is in the field. Not only that, Judah is in the battlefield. Who's in the battlefield? Judah is in the battlefield. Do you know the history about how Judah was birthed? One man loved one girl. He rejected her sister because she was not good looking. She had crooked eyes probably. So he wanted her younger sister, not the elder one. But her father fooled him, got him drunk. Like David got Uriah drunk, got him drunk and passed off the eldest one to him. Then made him work 14 years for both girls. But he didn't love the first one. Scripture says, when God saw that Jacob did not love Leah, he opened her womb. God is telling Leah, he doesn't love you, but I love you. He doesn't approve of you, but I approve of you. Opened. 
Know what she named her first son? She named her first son Reuben, meaning out of affliction I have given birth. Out of affliction I have given birth. Then she named her second one Simeon. Why? My husband hated me. I have given Simeon. I'm hoping he loves me. Out of affliction and out of hatred, two children. And she gave birth to a third one. Scripture says, she called him Levi, hoping, now that I have given him a third one, at least now he will be joined to me. He's not joined to her. He's not joined to her. Then scripture says, she turned her face from Jacob to Jesus. That's what scripture says. She conceived again and bore a son and said, I will stop pleasing, praising Jacob. I will start now praising the Lord. And therefore she called him Jacob, Judah, and she stopped bearing children. The midst of affliction and the midst of the hatred and the scorn and the mockery of people and all your struggles to join with this world and to get the love of this world when that ceases and when you turn to God and praise is burst in your life, you are fruitful. God has completed his work in you. Completed his work in you. That's what God is saying. Is Judah there? In the midst of battle, do you have praise? Are you able to truly sing from your heart, it is well with my soul? Or has praise gone out of our heart, our life? Greatest psalmist, David, had no songs, no praise, because he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. He had compromised on all his convictions. There is simple soldier called Uriah. And God is speaking through him. God, David has no ears to hear him. Why didn't he go to your house? Sleep with your wife. David is asking. He said, my Lord, the ark is in the field. Israel is in the field. Judah is in the field. And they are all intense. And your soldiers are fighting. How can I go home? How can I go home? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to David. Imagine, not a Gentile king. He's speaking to David, the man who said, because of you I will trump over my enemies. I will jump over a wall and I will vanquish all. This is the same man who is trying to compromise his loyal soldier. Understand this can happen to any one of us. Uriah is a reminder to all of us. You can stand And you can stand alone. David is a reminder to all of us. Doesn't matter how long you have known long. And how long you have sung songs. You can fall and compromise. And be so utterly wicked like David. And yet stand alone like Uriah. He says a warning to both of us. These five verses. God is saying. Even if earthly leaders have compromised. You can stand there true to your convictions. You can. Your convictions may lead you to death as Uriah's convictions will lead him to death. Not because of the Ammonites they were fighting. They were only tools. But at the hands of his own king whom he served faithfully because he was faithful to Christ who had anointed David as king. 
Uriah was killed for his faithfulness. You getting the picture? Let's turn back to that one verse once again. Verse 11. So it was on the next day. No, no, no. Second Samuel, I'm sorry. We are not in first Samuel at all. Uriah said to David, the ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Job and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. I will not do. That's conviction. That's deep conviction about issues of life. Deep conviction. Where is Israel? where is the ark? In the tent. Where is Israel? In the tent. Where is Judah? In the tent. Where are we? Hebrews 11 and verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise. As in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. He's the heir. But he's living in the promised land. Where is he living? In the promised land like a foreign land. That's interesting. That's a very interesting construction, right? We want to live like a citizen in the promised land. God says no. They live as foreigners in the promised land. Dwelling in tents. How will Peter say that in the new covenant? First Peter chapter 2 verse 11. Beloved, I beg you. As sojourners and pilgrims, abstain. Abstain from everything that is after your flesh. Abstain. Live in this world like a pilgrim. Like a sojourner. Like a foreigner. Like a stranger. Are we dwellers of ten? Remember the trap of Lot? Genesis 19 verse 1 and 2. And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. And he said, here now my lords, please turn into your servants. Servants? House. It's very difficult to move when you have built your house. That's why they had to pull him out of that city. It's easy to pull a tent up. It's difficult to take your house with you. These are two different concepts in scripture. House means your heart is set on this world. Tent means you are passing through. It's not about living in tents. Don't try that in India. Snakes will get in. Understand spiritual meaning. Understand what it means. What it means. We look for nothing permanent here. Even if God gives you something permanent, we still hold it in trust and not hold on to that. Why? Because if you are not spiritually a dweller of trends, you will never fulfill God's purpose in your life. What is God's purpose, O Abraham, in your life? O Isaac, in your life? O Jacob, in your life? Genesis chapter 13 and verse 17. Arise and walk in the land through its length and breadth, for I give it to you. Abraham is called to walk through the land. Can he make a house? You and I are called to walk through this land. 
Can we look for something permanent and settle down there and say, Lord, I have built my house here. Now give me a ministry around my house. These are spiritual truths. All in the world is temporary and is passing away. Passing away. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, scripture says the world is passing away. It is passing away. And the lust of it, lust of it, is passing away. Young girls sitting over there, if you have a habit of holding clothes, which you wore 10 years ago, ladies especially, go today to your attic, put it down and look at it and says, would you wear it tomorrow? Nah, because lust of that is passed away. New lust has come. It's passing away. All these things are passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Forever. Are you getting the picture? The ark is in the tent. Israel is in the tent. Judah is in the tent. And Israel lived 40 years in the wilderness in tents. God dwelt among them in a tent. When they moved, he moved with them. When he moved, they moved with him. Are you getting the concept? What it means? Tent. The church is still spiritually dwelling in tents. Moving as God is moving among them. And with them. House cannot be moved. House cannot be moved. A tent can be moved. God moves with people who will move with him. Some people cannot be moved. They are absolutely sure about their convictions that they will not move. The deep rooted conviction but wrong. Not even an earthquake will make the move. But God moves with his people. Those who are willing to move with him, he will move with them. When Joseph was sold and moved to Egypt, God moved from Canaan to Egypt. When Israel moved from Egypt into the wilderness, God moved from Egypt into the wilderness. When Israel moved from the wilderness into Canaan, God moved with Israel from the wilderness into Canaan. When David was being chased by King Saul in the wilderness, God moved with David in the wilderness. When Daniel went from Judah to Babylon, God moved with Daniel to Babylon. When his three friends moved from the capital, from the palace into the fire, Christ moved with them into the fire. When Peter went into the prison, Christ moved with him into the prison. Paul and Silas went into prison, God moved with them into the prison. When Paul appeared in the court, Christ appeared in the court. Our God moves with those who dwell in spiritual tents, those who can be moved. Those who can be moved. Are you a spiritual child of Abraham, a dweller of tents, like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Or are we like Lot? 
That's why God said, remember, remember Lot, remember Lot's wife. Why? Because we are looking for another city. We are not looking for anything permanent here. The old days of war, the old days of war, especially the civil war, In US, the officers used to tell their soldiers, guys, don't drive your stakes too deep. We move in the morning. Don't drive the stakes too deep because we move in the morning. Don't drive your stakes in any place in this world too deep. When God says, it's time to move in the morning. You will be reluctant to move. Because we are sojourners. We belong to another country, another city, and another dwelling place. Hebrews 11 and verse 16 says, Now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called there. God, for he has prepared a city. We have another city in another country. Not only that, not just a country and a city. In John chapter 14, verse 2, he says, we have another mansion. We dwell in tents here. We dwell in mansions there. What is permanent is there, not here. So when you and I look into life, there are two things in the light of today's message. We need to understand there are two things alone that will last. One is what we saw already in 1 John 2, 17. The man or the woman who does the will of God. He or she who does the will of God abides for ever. What's the only thing permanent in this house? Is the man or the woman who seeks and does the will of God. Everybody else is temporary. You are permanent. If you seek and do the will of God, God says, you abide forever. And second thing, Matthew 16, verse 18. And I say to you, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. The church that is built on deep Convictions will last forever. It's built on the rock. Not on the sand. Churches that are built on sand are churches that are built on very shallow convictions. That's why you need to know what you believe. Why you believe. And if you know it is true, you stand there. Stand there. If you look at both, both are deep abiding convictions. So this morning, as I close, I want to share a little, little, I like testimonies. When they are testimonies, they are tasty. Sometimes they are not testimonies, they test your patience. One of my, when I say kids, they are not necessarily kids. But I call them kids because they are all spiritual children. I think that that kid is in a late thirties or forties, one of my kids from the Northeast, one of my spiritual children, calls me upon Monday and tells me, 
she was my youth leader once upon a time. And she's married to a Hindu convert. They're ministering in a particular place in Assam. Wonderful couple with one child who is now nine years old. This child, I remember that child a year back. When she was praying, she specifically heard the Lord speak to her. And she told her mother, Jesus told me very clearly, if you are not obedient, I cannot take you to the next level. I hear you pray, Lord Jesus, I want to know you better. But you cannot know me better unless you are obedient. Your obedience to your parents and those put over you will determine your next level with me. That day the child decided, I am going to be... The mother had called me a year back and said, this kid has changed. And he told me, they called me BJ. Brother James, should... I baptize her because she is asking me all the time, I want to get baptized, I want to get separated. I said, it's age doesn't matter. If the child has a real understanding of what it is, go ahead and baptize her. Then Monday she calls me up and says, I was so excited, I was so excited, I was waiting, waiting, waiting for Monday to call you and say, James, you know what happened? I was sitting with Pragya in the morning before she goes to school. I... She memorized the scripture and she reads the scripture portion with me and she was reading and I had given her one of the parables and uh, it was time for her to go. So, but she was reading very slowly and I was looking at her, I was looking at her and she was not looking at me and she was reading. I said, Pragya, read faster. She didn't hear me and she kept on reading very slowly. And when she finished, I said, Pragya, what happened? You didn't hear me? She said, Mama, Jesus was speaking to me and he told me, Pragya, first time he called her, second time he called me exactly the way you called me, Pragya, and told me, I heard your prayer, you want understanding and I will give you understanding. Now, first I will teach you to read. Read with me. I will read first, you read after me. Therefore, I was reading slowly. You know what this kid did? The kid is nine years old in class one or two. And for the school program, she said, and she likes dancing. She's a kid. She loves dancing. She said there was a dance in the school, which is a Nepali dance, and where the boys and the girls are teasing each other. And she came and told the mother, Mommy, you know what? I like dancing, but I have a feeling that dancing defiles me. But the teacher said, you have to dance. So I want you and Baba to come and speak to the teacher and say, either can you get me out of the dance or change the song? The father went and he said, the teacher said, because of Pragya coming and saying she feels defiled, four or five of her friends also stood up and said, we also don't want to dance that dance. We have changed the entire dance because of her. Now let me ask you, to whom am I preaching about Daniel, to her or to you? I said, Dina, do you know? This is exactly what I was telling my church two weeks back. A few weeks back I told them when God speaks to a child, he speaks to a child in the voice he or she is familiar. I said when Samuel, God called Samuel, Samuel, he was using the voice of Eli. That's why he ran to Eli and said, did you call me? And said, did you see? He spoke to her in your voice, otherwise she wouldn't recognize Then you see, she's so conscious 
at this age. And this is a small, if I were to tell the name of that little town, you wouldn't even know where in India is that town. You think God cannot speak and have witnesses in any place? Any place? And let me tell you, yesterday, after that, her mother, that's the youth leader, my young kid, old kid, her sister calls me from U.S. And she tells me, Brother James, it's so difficult in U.S. My husband and I, we are moving to a small town out of the cities because we want to be with people who believe in God. It is so difficult. And you know, Brother James, I heard you heard about Pragya from my sister. Let me tell you, Pragya prays with me on the phone. And when Pragya prayed with me on the phone, she said, uh, Auntie, I'm praying that you get the job which you are looking for. And you know what? I had applied for a job in U.S. a year back and I wanted it and they rejected me. They said, you're not qualified. And I didn't apply again. But last week, without me applying, they called me back and gave me the job and I'm starting this Monday. Pray for me. And I believe it's that girl's prayer God heard. Do we believe? Do we believe we have a God, prayer answering God? Do we believe that separation really makes a difference in your life? We don't have deep convictions. That's the problem. We want tolerance. We want to lower the bar and get everybody in. When 99% of those who get in after, sorry, raising the bar, sorry, lowering the bar, those who get in are not even really saved because they don't even have conviction of sin. Without conviction of sin, why do you need salvation? Then we boast in our this thing about the numbers that came into our meetings and all the jumping and dancing that takes place and we call that as salvation and praise and adoration. It is not because there is no conviction there. Then what happened in Exodus 32 in the wilderness also was a praise and worship service. God says, you make me ashamed. You have changed my name. You have changed my nature. That's not what I am. That's not who I am. We need to have convictions. Serious, deep convictions about life. And that conviction comes from this, nowhere else. Once this conviction comes, not from any man, doesn't matter how great he is in the world, convictions come from this alone. Because we have a habit of reading biographies of great men in the world. Don't. Don't get motivated by stories of Obama or even Lincoln. Why did I put those two names together? Don't get motivated. The kingdom of God is not based on motivation, based on conviction. Because when you read biographies of living or dead people, they only write the good side of it. They don't write the other side. What do you know about Lincoln? What do you know about Lincoln that is not kosher? Read history. Read history. You will see that a lot of stuff he did is against the law of the land, which he was constitutionally sworn in to uphold. If he had not won the war, he would have been probably been arrested and executed for treason for going against the law of the land. 
practically locked up the entire Supreme Court. He cancelled habeas corpus. Understand? Other side which nobody knows. One wrong doesn't justify another wrong. The kingdom of God is built on righteousness and righteousness alone. Nothing else. That's why I said your convictions should not be from biographies. Your convictions from this and this alone. Be very sure young people, we are living in a very, very dark world. But the dark world, like a vitamin tablet, is so nicely sugar-coated, we don't even realize we are hurtling into D-Day. When it will be too late to make your stand? Decisions have to be made now. Convictions have to be forged in iron now. Otherwise, it will be very difficult. You will have an understanding of what is the right and wrong, but you don't have the will nor the strength to keep it. That's why I primarily speak to young people. Believe now. Have convictions now. And draw your line now. Then you can stand. Even the most godly king in Israel's history, David, tries to seduce you. You can still look at him and say, My Lord, the ark is in the field. Israel is in the field. Judah is in the field. All dwelling in tents and in the battlefield. How can I go home? And sleep with my wife. How can I put the principle of pleasure above the principle of sacrifice and duty? That's what he's saying. There are principles on which you base your life. And the principle of duty and sacrifice is far above the principle of pleasure. And when you are making choices, ask yourself, what defines my choices in life? What defines? That's how decisions are made. Amen? I want the worship team to come. Today, we have 25 minutes. That's a bonus. But don't forget the latter end of David. He repented and he finished well. That's the awesomeness of a God. You cannot go spiritually, morally, ethically more how do you say? Lower than David went. I don't think any man in scripture went so low. The depth which you go is not determined by your actions alone. It is determined by how much you knew God. David knew God. Therefore his fall was greater than the fall of anybody else in the Bible. Yet how he sprung back. Because he came back to his convictions and God restored him. And then God will write the postscript in the book of Acts. David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and rested with his fathers.
we just thank you father we just thank you father that you never give up on us that you are for us that you are with us you never drift away from us it's we who drift away from you your word never drifts away from us your word is forever settled in the heavens it's we who drift away from the word you never walk away from the throne room of grace it's we who walk away from our prayer closets all because of god we do not hold strong deep convictions according to your word and we do not steadfastly pursue it as the early church did pray father this end of this eighth month for those who have drifted away there will be a course correction that you would touch that there would be conviction there would be conviction there would be a rending of hearts and not of garments a turning away from turning to the living god touch lord young and old even the little ones touch let nothing stop us from coming to you help us not to be like eve to hide from you but to be more like the woman caught in adultery stand there in your presence and not live because in your presence alone there is life you are the only one who can forgive sins you are the only one who can send away people without condemnation you are the only one who can heal deliver and restore help us not to hide but to run to you help us not to walk away but to stay in your presence help us to seek you above everything else this ninth month i pray many lives like leah praise should be birthed out of our affliction and scorn and clamoring we would turn and face you look to you and you would birth true praise in our lives and yet never forget we are constantly in war fighting not flesh and blood powers of darkness and the ark is in the tent israel is in the tent and judah is in the tent all are in the battlefield where else can we be but where you are give us hearing ears o oh lord 
willing and an obedient heart. So children go into another week, another month. I bless each one in your name. The blessing that Jacob sought with tears, with a struggle, let it be ours, O Lord. Let it be that blessing that we seek. Your word says we have already been blessed with that in Christ. Touch those who are infirm in their bodies, struggling in their minds. The heart that is wavering, touch each one. Heal. Stabilize. Let the convictions run deep. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Glorify you. By faith we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. Your holy name. Bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide each one of us. Amen.